Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, a pretty quiet night in sports. No football. The NBA hasn't started yet. Now there'll be a time when there'll just be college basketball and NBA all over the place on Tuesday nights. But now we've got baseball. The final week of the regular season. The Cardinals win again. That is 17 in a row. They clinch the wild card. They are in. They will play either the Giants or the Dodgers. Probably the Dodgers, but eh, we don't know yet. The Cardinals, look at them go. That is win number 88. I assume they'll win two more games and get to 90. So all of the 90-win teams in the National League will make the playoffs. There will be the Cardinals would be the fourth after the Brewers, Giants, and Dodgers. Uh, I don't think anybody else will get there. And, of course, the Padres had a lot of hype, a lot of talk, but, man, they have just collapsed and are just flirting with a 500 season here. Uh, you know, they'll probably finish right at it or, you know, a game or two either way. Uh, major disappointment there. But, man, you got to give up to the Cardinals. 17 wins in a row. And they are hot going into the playoffs, and I cannot imagine anybody wants to face them in a wild card game. <laughs> I mean, you can win it, but you do not want to face them in a wild card game. All right, DJ and PK, let us get to the football and the basketball. We got a little jazz for you this morning, and we got a little college football as well. And we are going to start with BYU and the college football. And we're going to start with Fessy Sataki. And, you know, it's a passing game coordinator. As a guy who has a lot of input into the offense, not calling the plays and that, that's A-Rod, but still a lot of input into the offense. Man, the offense was really flying against South Florida. And I don't think South Florida is any good. I don't think Washington State's any good. And I can't believe some of you are questioning that and calling PK and I trolls on social media. Those two teams are 1-3 with wins over FCS opponents and 0-6 against the Bulls subdivision. They are bad teams. I don't know how you're debating that. And I think the rest of the season is going to continue to show up. But even if it doesn't, they're bad teams in September when Utah and BYU beat them. But regardless of that, all you can do is play the team across from you, and the BYU offense looked really good. I mean, that could be a bad defense and a bad secondary, but if you overthrow the pass, it's incomplete. And the offense scored on five of eight possessions, and they weren't trying to score on the eighth possession. They were trying to run out the clock, and they did. So I think they had six A-plus drives, and they had two drives that you can, okay, you can get them. You know, a punt. But, you know, if you punt once in a game, that's, I'm sorry, that's not a crime. And the other drive ended in the red zone, and you had a chip shot field goal blocked, which is more a special teams problem than an offensive problem. I thought the offense was brilliant. What did Fessy Sataki think? And I guess more importantly, what does he think looking ahead to Utah State? Because 4-0 is 4-0, regardless of the quality of the opponent or what went right or wrong. They're 4-0. They couldn't be any better than 4-0 right now. What are they going to do against the Aggies? Here's Fessy Sataki. Fessy, give us your breakdown on how you feel like your your receivers have done and, and then kind of maybe more in general the passing game overall because last week was kind of that breakout you guys were looking for. Yeah, um, in terms of the the receiver group, uh, been been really pleased with them. You know, we've obviously been battling uh, injuries since since game one. Um, kind of had to had to shuffle through those a little bit. That's the nice thing about depth. You know, I I remember talking about it to you guys all through fall camp. Is is that's the value of of having a deep group. Um, injuries happen. I haven't I haven't never coached a receiving crew that's completely made it through the season. You know, fully healthy. You know, you're always going to have those dingers. Some more than others. So I've been really pleased with how the guys have responded. You saw Keanu Hill and Chris Jackson game one really step in and, and 
do great things and we didn't skip 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 a beat and then when the Nikur brothers were healthy and ready to go game two um, they did a good job stepping in and, and making plays so um, it's nice I think it's that's our goal is make it makes it hard on defenses to, to be able to have all guys ready on deck and and know that if if guys are missing or, or get dinged up a little bit um, we, we can still function um, and then just as in it as it relates to our passing offense, you know, we played three, you know, really difficult defenses. You know, that first game was hard because there was a lot of unknown and, and, and Don Brown does a great job um, with his scheme. It's always tough to, 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 to pass on those guys. And then you play Utah state and, and Arizona, or sorry, Utah and Arizona state um, with two really good defenses historically. And this year, so, it, you know, we, we, we did enough to win. And, um, you know, although we, everyone would like stats to be higher, I was happy with their production. And then um, last, last week was good with the possessions, the number of possessions we had, I was really pleased with um, um, how efficient you know we were able to be in the passing game so happy overall with with the group and and um, our, our uh, passing game uh, Jake you're up Fessy, I wanted to kind of get your assessment. Obviously, the passing game coordinator, you have a pretty influential role in this offense but I wanted your assessment of how you thought Baylor did stepping in for Jaron last week I thought he did awesome. You know, he, he didn't didn't surprise any of us. It's it's we, we have the luxury of seeing um, Baylor practice every day, and he gets a ton of reps. And um, he did what he does in practice: just poised, calm, cool, collected. I was really impressed with his his touch on the deep balls. Um, it's one thing Baylor's always done well. Um, those, those chunk yard, that chunk yardage, and those explosive plays are a critical part of our offense. And so for Jaron to go down and have Baylor come in and and be able to hit on all cylinders still down the field was was a really um, great thing to see and like I said something I think we all expected and so just very efficient I thought his decision making was excellent um, his ball you know the balls he threw were at very accurate and so just just happy with him and I always feel comfortable with Baylor um, at the quarterback position if that's what it is on any given week and in a scheme obviously you guys don't want to change it too much player to player but obviously going from Jaron to Baylor did it have to change at all for you or did you feel like he just kind of stepped into what ba- uh, Jaron had already been doing this season and just picked it up yeah, that that the latter. Those two are very interchangeable. Granted, Jaron's probably just a little twitchier and, and more of a threat in terms of um, running and 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 you know breaking any pressure. But Baylor's very capable. He's a very underrated athlete. So when you compare those two together, you know it's it's easy to, to nitpick and say you know this well Jaron's probably a step faster. But really, we don't have to change anything. Um, that's the that's the nice thing is Baylor's more than capable to to make plays with his legs. Um, and so we we feel comfortable that either of those two can fit. To any game plan we have okay let's go mitch next and then sean walker yeah coach uh how, how exciting is it for the offense to uh be in a spot where you guys are, are looking to put up more points yet same time you're 4-0 undefeated knocking on the door of the top 10 i mean how, how much how exciting is that to be in this spot where you guys haven't played your best football yet yeah, that's really exciting. That that's the sign of a great team is when you can you can you know learn your lessons through victories. Um, that's 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 a great thing. And so I'm 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 really excited about the potential we have and the ceiling we have. You know to, to, to keep growing and keep getting better, and that that's our goal. But to be able to um, you know do enough and execute enough to get wins, but know that there's room for growth um, is a really good position to be in. And I've I've been on the other side, just you know where you you know you you do really really well statistically and then you lose right on once one unit does a great job and you still lose um and so 
or you haven't played your best and you still lose. And so I'm just, we're all grateful for it. I think as a team, as coaches that we, we um, still have improvements to make, but that we, we do have a special team. You know, I, I don't want it to be overlooked that, um, you know, we're just not, not playing that great. I mean, we're, we're hard on ourselves and, and we want to be, you know, the best. And so we're holding ourselves to a very high standard. And so the fact that we're winning does say something. Um, we have a really good team. Um, but I think the fact that none of us are, are content is also the sign of a great team, you know, that we're striving for something bigger. So are those high standards, uh, something that you guys talk about as far as goals each and every day, this motivation throughout the, this part of the season? Yeah, you know, one of one of our main themes this year that Kalani's been pushing to uh, the team is is doing those small things that each that there's there's nothing that's too small to focus on. And when that's your focus, um, you're always going to find things to fix and improve. If you just say, oh, let's just go undefeated and, and have this big picture in mind, you miss out on those little things. And so there's every play. There's something we, we can all nitpick and say, hey, we got to We got to do this better. After every game, there's always these little things we're going to talk about that we need to we need to do better and better and there's a fine line between not you know just bogging yourself down um and being negative but also keeping that standard and i think that's that's settled into our culture and a lot of guys are um, you know it's resonating with a lot of our team coach a lot of people look at this aggie team and they see a really good fast up-tempo dynamic offense um kind of like you guys actually a little bit you guys have been able to play a little fast this this year but i i look at this defense at utah state uh and see a really good secondary with guys like shaq bond and a really good linebacker with the the uh, rice justin rice kid in coverage is that kind of is it fair to say that's kind of a strength of their defense is sort of that back end? I don't want to just limit it to just the secondary, but sort of that back end of the defense. Is that, do you guys sort of see that as well? Kind of in a, just in terms of a, a strong back side of their defensive unit? Yeah, yeah, they're returning two starting corners, um, and their safeties have experience, and so that's that's definitely a unit that we feel is 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 experienced. Um, and they they do a lot of things defensively um, that can that can create um, challenges for an offense. And you can't do that stuff unless you have an experienced uh, group of guys that you can rely on. And so you know we we have a challenge, and we're excited for the opportunity to face a to face a really solid defense. Jake, do you have a question? Yeah, I just got one more. Fessy, kind of in that vein, the hot topic this week is how big of a rivalry is this? You're a guy from this state. You know what it means in this rivalry. How do you perceive it? Um, it's an in-state game. There's a lot on the line. There's a lot of emotion. You know, a lot of these guys have, have grown up together and played Little League together or played in the same high school. Um, you know, there's a lot of mixing with the coaches. I know they have a new coaching staff, and, and a lot of them are, you know, from back east or, or down south. But, you know, there, there's um, there's, a, there's a lot of emotion in this game, and we, we know it. that Their fan base, um, you know, is, is, is electric, you know, and they're passionate, just, you know, a lot like ours. And so it's going to be a fun game. And anytime you play a team that's within this this state, whoever it is, whatever institution it is, um, there's going to be a lot on the line. And so we're, we're, we're excited for it. You know, I view it, view it as I, this game, the, the, the same as I would any other team that's in state, like this is a great opportunity. Um, you know, a lot of our families will be at these games and, and it's, it's going to be fun and we're excited for it. All right. There is BYU's Fessy Sataki coming up a little break from all the college football. We got a little jazz basketball, Quinn Snyder, Quinn Snyder with the media. And then we got to talk a little football with Frank Dolce on the way. Stay with us. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. 
It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Aggies welcome in BYU to Maverick Stadium for another chapter in their long rivalry with the Cougars. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch all the play-by-play action, beginning with the Aggie pregame show Friday at 6 on 1280 AM with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK at 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And it's time to talk a little jazz basketball. The jazz in Las Vegas for three days, then it's off to Texas for a couple exhibition games Monday and Wednesday. Let's start with Quinn Snyder. And get a little jazz basketball with Quinn. Here's the coach. Because you have a veteran roster, like I assume that you don't have to implement as many stuff as as you would at this time. Usually, typically at this time of the year. So how do you how do you deal with that? And and you know how does that translate to to you know the new guys trying to get the new guys to come along as well? Well, I think there's things that over the course of the year that you can really identify as like you know this is good, like unequivocally. Um, and then there's other things that are good in certain situations. Um, and there's other things you need to, you know, to work on. Um, so those adjustments, whether, you know, the playoffs always give you windows into that. Um, analytics give you windows into that. The playoffs are more specific to a situation, but that, you know, that, that's the playoffs. So you, you look and figure out how you can adjust and be better. Um, and then I think, you know, for us, when you spend a lot of time going back over the last year, trying to figure out not just what we need to do differently, but what, you know, maybe that we're doing well, that we need to do more of Like last year it was, you know, we're shooting the ninth most threes, but we're the best percentage. So, what are those things? And I think there's always um, there's always adjustments that, that may seem you may not even notice that may seem, you know, maybe just a simple spacing situation that creates um, a lot of different things. And during the year, <clears throat> I don't know if I'm answering this very well, but during the year, you notice those things, but there isn't time to truly implement something at a level that, 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 um, you know, you're rewarded for it, you know, you, cause it's new, it's not efficient. You're teaching a different habit. So the off season gives you a chance to really, you know, dig in on those things and, and, and commit to them. And that's true of a veteran team too. Um, in some respects, um, we use, all, we got a Sanjay Lumpkin, one of the guys on our, DAV staff is, I think, a scratch call. It, it, to go from four to scratch, you know, is a lot harder to go from, you know, 14 to four. So I, I think the math and the, the, the mindset is still the same, um, but trying to find those incremental gains and also trying to find them with, with players, you know, where you're looking at a player and trying to figure out, well, he's efficient here, he's not efficient here, what can he do different? Um, but, but I think the challenge is it's easy to point to something and say, you know, we need to be better there. The question, you know, how, how do you become better there? 
Um, sometimes that's personnel adjustment. Sometimes it's, you know, a lineup combination. Um, sometimes it's spacing, different play. Um, and that, you know, that's what the summer entails. And, you know, I think you, you, you know, you watch the playoffs, um, you watch regular season games. There's just, you know, you try to collect as much information as you can and then, you know, make those decisions, but it allows you with the veteran team to focus more on those things, you know, because the guys are trained in a certain respect. And that, that's what we found, you know, last year, we, there's certain things in the style, our style of play that still really fit us. And we have to remind ourselves of that and, you know, not take it for granted, but then at the same time, try to get better. From the outside, it seems like having Hassan here with four dope to learn from, like the back to like rim running, bigs, defensive bigs. From the outside, that seems good, but it's also like I would think that it would be a nice challenge for him to sell. Like he doesn't want those minutes. Yeah, I might even take it further. I, I think, I think it's great for Rudy, you know, to have Hassan. You know, we forget a little bit. Hassan, you know, Hassan was earned and was rewarded with a big contract in Miami. So that 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 wasn't an accident. And you know, I, I think um, having someone else, you know, even for Rudy to, to push him, and then obviously, you know, for Dope to to see those two guys, certainly. Um, but when you have two centers that, and I know, I think Hassan's year last year was really an outlier. Um, but when you look at what he's done over the core, I mean, I think he's in the top 4% in defensive rebounding, like historically every year, like that's, that's hard to do. Um, so the, all those guys, you know, I, I think the same is true of like Mike and Donovan, those guys pushing each other. I, so I, I think it's great for, you know, for Rudy um, and to, for those guys to kind of, you usually get, you know, a bonding that takes place too. And uh, I think Son's in a really, really good place. I think it's, I'm really glad he's here. You know, I felt strongly when I talked to him that it would be a really good fit for him. And I, I think he's feeling that even in a short period of time, just the way we play and, you know, I think there's a way to coach him that, you know, will will help him too. What kind of advice or instruction have you given Jared as he kind of begins this NBA journey? Um, I think one of the unique things about Jared is he's played, he's, he's won. So he's played with other really good players and he knows what it takes for a team to win. And that, that's, I think, something um, that, that the same is true of, like, Trent. You know, those, both those guys have been in situations where they've, they've won games in college, you know. And it, it, in, in some respects, you know, when, when, when people look at our team and talk about depth, and there, there aren't a whole lot of opportunities you know, if I'm playing Jordan Clarkson 18 minutes instead of 24, like that, we're not using Jordan Clarkson, in my opinion, the right way. Um, same thing with Joe. You know, so you can shave Joe's minutes from, with the, you know, 32 to 26, but at some point, those guys are really good. 
and they show that night in and night out. So I think for Jared, part of it, you know, is patience, you know, and, and you, you can, you can be really competitive and hungry and still be patient. And when I say patience, knowing it's a little bit like preparing for when an opportunity presents itself for you to have an impact and understanding that the impact you might have on this team because of the makeup of the team is going to look different, but it can still be really impactful. And, you know, that's when you have things, you know, invariably there's injuries, there's foul trouble, there's all kinds of things. And, you know, so continuing to work and be hungry and not get frustrated if it doesn't come, you know, right away. I mean, we've got, we've got competition at that position. You know, I mean, Trent had a great summer league. Um, those two guys are very different players. You know, when, if we didn't have Mike and Don and JC and Joe, you know, those, those two guys could, could play together. You know, it, Trent's got size. Jared can really shoot the ball. They both have great tempo. So I think for a lot of our younger guys, it's, it's the same thing. Um, but in Jared's case, you know, when you talk to him, he, he's, he's got a very mature outlook. And, you know, I, I think that will serve him well, not just now with this team, but over the course of his, of his career. I think he is very grounded. He knows who he is as a player. Um, and he's very coachable as well. But it's hard to, you know, you're, you're coming into a team that, you know, is, isn't perfect, but, you know, had, had some success last year. You know, so, you know, that, that's part of it. You know, you, you come into a team that isn't as good a team, there's going to be more opportunity. But he's got a chance to, you know, to watch and learn and not just be coached by me, but to be coached by Mike and Donovan and Joe. And, and, uh, and I think that's a real that's a real advantage, especially over a longer term. You, yesterday we touched a little on the conversation that you had with Rudy Gay that you mentioned kind of sold him on the organization. Uh, Eric, yeah, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, yesterday we touched a little bit on the conversation that you had with Rudy Gay. Ocho. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, Gotta think of a nickname for him. <laughs> right. Yeah. And um, Hassan also mentioned during his session that meeting you like in person for the first time, you were not what he was expecting. What's the, what's kind of the, the process like of acclimating to new guys, like you to them and them to you when they come in, you know, when they join the organization? What, what, what was he expecting? <laughs> he, he said he thought that uh, you were going to be like this super, I think the word he used was angry. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's social media for you, right? You can make anything. Um, I, I think, you know, one of the things about particularly, you know, guys that have been in the league is you have a chance to watch them over a period of time. They, they may not know you're watching them. And clearly I didn't know that he was watching me be angry. Um, the, um, so you get a feel for a player. Um, and I think, you know, players are different and, you know, Hassan is a rookie versus Hassan now and his, you know, experience in his career and part of it in my mind, it's my job to try to figure out, you know, how to help him, 
you know, how to help them be better. And I think a big part of that is how to help them, you know, feel comfortable and, and fit in and be connected. And if they can feel that, like, you know, it has to be real, you know, it's not like a, if you're selling something you don't believe in, you know, that that's disingenuous. And in, in both those situations, like I know the con, I really felt strongly that the situation we had for Hassan, regardless of minutes or all that is just a really, really good one that he could thrive in. And the same thing in Rudy's case. Um, so that those, those conversations, I guess the best way I could describe them was, you know, I talked to Rudy for a while. Um, talked to him a couple times. Um, and it just was very authentic. We talked a lot of basketball. Um, but usually when you're talking about basketball, it's kind of a platform for a lot of other things. So, you know, hopefully they get a, the, the thing that jumped out to me with Rudy was, you know, there's a, there's a joy, you know, playing the game that you, you often have a lot of when you're younger. And as you get older, you know, you, you, you remember that and you kind of crave that. And I think for him, he'll be at his best when he's having fun. Cause I, I don't think there's, you know, my, my, even today, you know, my dialogue, coaching, whatever you want to call it, is just much more interactive. I, I want to know what he thinks. And I think Rudy's a guy, you know, in this short time as I've been around him, I think it's important for him to understand why you want him to do something because he's really intelligent. And if he can, can explain why, you know, even if it's something that he's not crazy about doing, you know, he wants to win. And, and I think that, you know, that's overriding. So it's the best thing about this job is when you get to coach guys that, you know, that you really enjoy being around. We'll go with uh, Ben Anderson first. Quinn, I think piggybacking off that a little bit, because they've been in the league for a decade, both Rudy Gay and, uh, and Hassan seem to have pretty well-developed personalities. Is it difficult to incorporate new personalities into a locker room? Is that something you have to be hands-on with? Or is that something that when you've been in the league for a decade, you, you know how to do? Um, I think there's a lot of variables, I, th I think. I think both their personalities you know, add a lot to our team. You know, I think Rudy's maturity and experience, he's got a voice. I think he's, he's here longer. Um, you know, I can see leadership ability, you know, from that because of his experience, because of his, you know, unselfishness. You know, I think Hassan, you know, there's a levity. Hassan's got a great sense of humor. Not that Rudy doesn't. Um, but th those are things that I think, you know, the more you embrace – you know, that, you know, different people bring different things, the more they add. And Jordan's a great example. You know, it, you know, everybody's different. And I think we're lucky that you want guys to be authentic. You, you, you don't want them to try to, you know, be something in order to fit in. You know, the hope is that who they are will fit in. And sometimes that requires everybody adjusting their expectations a little bit. Um, and I think that takes some time, but in both our cases, you know, I, I feel that's happening very quickly. All right. Last question, Andy Larson. 
Queen, we got a presentation from Monty McCutcheon on some of the new rules changes as far as like guys jumping into, you know, kind of closeouts or arm bars on drives and that kind of thing. And I'm curious, you know, those are big plays. Those are three points where you wouldn't get, a, you know, so on. Does that change at all kind of how you approach coaching the perimeter or, I mean, kind of how do you look at those kind of, you know, relatively substantial changes? I think it's something you have to be very aware of and you have to watch. I know a couple years ago um, they were talking about certain – there was a way that the game was really called from a defensive standpoint where they weren't going to allow certain things. And I thought we overreacted to it. You know, we got – it made us soft because we weren't as physical. We were, you know – to observe it. I think you have to kind of see how officials are calling it and understand how different, like adjust to the game. Um, I have no doubt that, you know, it, the point of emphasis will be emphasized. Um, the best way to, to try to teach that I think is through video. I don't know that it's, you know, you can, but I don't know how efficient it is to kind of create new drills and, new techniques prior to seeing, you know, how the game, what, what it's going to look like, you know, where is it on the continuum? Now there's a couple of them that are, you know, that are pretty obvious where they're, they're trying to, you know, eliminate some of those shooting fouls and, you know, give the defense a better opportunity. But I, I think, and I think it's going to be different for different players. So I, that, that's one of the ones that, you make your team aware of it, you show it to them, you talk about it, um, and then you experience it, and that process kind of continues. There'll be a game when we'll think it should have been a foul, and it's not, and you pull up the video, and it was or it wasn't. And so I, I, I think it's, it's an organic thing. You know, it's, it's not like they just legislate something, and it's a very clear, clear – that's a hard job those guys have. And – I've been a part of that discussion being on the competition committee and it's, there's got to be at some point a rule for Monty. What was he wearing? Did you guys see him on Zoom? That should, that should, that should be a rule right there. Okay. Good enough. All right. There is Quinn Snyder back to college football next. We'll talk with Frank Dolce on the state of the Utes, the state of the running backs, who he would play at running back, and the state of the Pac-12 South. Remember when we were all laughing at the Pac-12 North after one week? Yeah, the North looks better. (laughs) I mean, they got their flaws. I'm not saying they're great, but they look better than the South right now. We'll talk with Frank about that next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. Kalani Sataki and BYU take their undefeated record to Logan for a showdown against the Aggies. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch all the play-by-play action beginning with a Cougar preview show. Friday at 6 on 97.5 FM with the post-game show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK, it's time to welcome in Frank Dolce, Utah Insider and Analyst for the Zone Sports Network. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best State Award winner, Smart Rain, is having an end-of-season sale on their irrigation smart controllers. Save 50% off each smart controller purchased. Offer available to all commercial property zone listeners. Visit smartrain.net to schedule a demo today. Frank, good morning. Hey, DJ. Good morning. Hello, PK. Frank. Frank, I got one question for you. <laughs> yes. What was that Sky Ridge coach thinking at the end of the first half the other night, man? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> as it turns out, there was a little miscommunication. I think the the uh, the true story is so. For people who weren't watching that game, Sky Ridge and Corner Canyon, Sky Ridge had a fourth down <laughs> deep in uh, their own territory. And um, and Corner Canyon was starting to take control of that football game. Sky Ridge needed to make something happen. So on fourth and long, in their own territory, they decided to go for it, at least make it look like they were going to go for it. And so they started doing a hard count. Well, all of a sudden, here comes the snap, and the Sky Ridge quarterback rolls out and throws it out of bounds. Oops. <laughs> And, and and turn the ball over on downs. And I think what was supposed to happen was uh, Sky Ridge give a hard count, try and draw a corner canyon offside, take a timeout or a penalty, and punt the ball away. Gotcha. But but the snap uh, in, was inadvertent, inadvertently made, and and then um, you know one thing led to another. But DJ. We now call Frankie D. We call him Jim Gray because he had the walk-off interview at halftime, and he stepped right up and asked the tough question, like you know that big <laughs> thing Jim Gray did with Pete Rose, mm-hmm. and everybody got upset. So now it's Frankie D. is now Jimmy G. <laughs> well, I hope it wasn't inappropriate. I no, it I had to be to asked. That, yeah, I just that's a horrible thing to have to ask it because everybody's like. I, you know, and and clearly, even the coaches were probably saying, "What in the world <laughs> just happened?" So, Corner Canyon's pretty darn good. I mean, um, they, yes, we if, are. If someone, yeah. If someone plays, <laughs> if someone plays a perfect game, and Corner Canyon makes a couple mistakes, oh. which they they can do. You mean like the Utes? Oh, gee, yeah. If they play a, a nice perfect segue. game, they can beat Corner Canyon. If. If the youth play a perfect game, they might have a chance against Corner Canyon. Yeah. Or BYU. <laughs> Corner Canyon may be the best team in the state. I mean, Corner, I think, you know, the talk about winning the South of the Pac 12, I might give it to Corner Canyon. <laughs> you know, they can handle Arizona and Colorado. Oh, for sure. And the <laughs> yeah. Devils will just yeah. commit 82 penalties, so they got them. <laughs> no kidding. Oh, man. These teams can't stay out of their way. And especially the Utes can't can't keep the ball off the ground. Do you remember giggling quietly and averting your eyes in horror as the Pac-12 North went 1-5 the first week? And now it turns out that might be the tougher division. Oh, it's the tougher division. I Ugh. think the South, is, the South is a mess. Um, Oregon State shot right up in my book. I mean, they, they look, I, we, I don't know anything about USC still. They're under duress, but, but uh, Oregon State looked really good. 
uh, I like the way that they play, and Coach Smith has that team, seems to have that team on track. So I wouldn't be surprised if if they're kind of in the conversation um, at the end of the year. I, I'm still a little soft on Washington. Oh, for um, sure, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people are saying, oh, Washington broke out. I mean, they didn't beat anybody. So <laughs> I I just think that's that's – I'm still – Still kind of soft on that on that program. Oregon still looks like Oregon still looks like the team. Washington State clearly beatable. So and Stanford, um, Stanford is. I mean, Stanford is is going to be one of those roller coaster teams. It seems like to me, one week they're going to be really good, and one week they're going to get beaten and and probably end up somewhere middle of the middle of the north. So I, I still think the north is the more powerful of the of the divisions the south just seems like a mess right now yeah i would agree with that but with that in mind i think that obviously this isn't utah's strongest team so if for no other reason that you're not as bad as the other teams or as inconsistent as the other teams now it remains to be seen that they will or won't be we don't know that but go ahead and win it because uh, even if you're just not as bad as the other teams, what difference does it make? And then you're looking, you really can't count last year, at least I don't, and you will have won it uh, three out of four, or if you don't want to count last year, three in a row. So even if it's not your best team, the opportunity is there, so why not take advantage of it? Oh, no no question about it. To me, there are four teams that could win the, could win the division. Um Colorado and Arizona are just—they're not going to do anything. They—they won't be in the conversation at all. Uh, maybe they'll win a game somewhere along the way, but—but but, uh, I just don't think they have anything—anything anything going this year. So, right. so there are four teams that I think have a, le- a legitimate shot at, at winning the South. I guess I would put. I guess I would put Arizona State up top, but it's like kind I of like not, uh, not yet. I'd go with the Bruins. I don't know. Yeah, I Bruins mean, got the two the, best wins in the in the division the right now. It is LSU and Stanford on the road. So I would I would put them. I put out my Pac-12 South rankings the other night, and I had uh, the Bruins number one, and then I had a three-team tie for fifth and a two-team tie for sixth. <laughs> I think that's reasonable. I think you could do. Um, I think you could do a four-team tie up top and a two-team tie at the bottom. I mean, I think you could figure, like, those uh, those four teams, anyone can win the division out of those four teams. Uh, just any given, any given Saturday. Utah could beat UCLA. I, I don't think there's any question. Utah can beat any of the teams in the South. I don't think there's any – I don't have any question about that. Agreed. Utah could lose to every team. It, it, well – Lose to at least. You well, know, they're not going to lose to the bottom two contenders, right? So, so uh, it just depends who it, who has their who is on their game you know, on that particular matchup. So, you know, maybe Dorian Thompson Robinson throws three interceptions against Utah, and Utah figures out a way to hold on to the football, and they win that game. Right. I mean, I think that's going to be that that kind of is is going to be half, how it has to go, and I think Utah could harass. USC. I mean, USC has shown its weakness. Arizona State, kind of like you said, shoots themselves in the foot. So maybe you just have to wait around until they make a mistake, and then yeah. you just take advantage of it. Right. So, but but Utah's in the same boat. I mean, Utah could put the ball on the ground three times, um, and and get and then be be bad at the line of scrimmage and get pushed around a little bit. I mean, they've shown that. So 
it's just a, the, the South is really is really funny this year. I thought the offensive line did a little bit of pushing around against Washington State, and I don't want to build Washington State up to be all that. But for an offensive line that hadn't done enough of that, the O-line couldn't control how many times the ball hit the ground. But the O-line did open holes, and they did get rushing yardage. So baby steps, but that was a positive. I think it's positive. I think you're right. And sometimes you need to beat up on beat up on somebody a little bit to figure out that's how you do it. And Utah hasn't been able to do that until Washington State at the at the offensive front. I still think there are issues up there that need to be corrected and Utah was still subbing guys at that trying to find find the right five. So I I do think they took a step forward there. I I did like the way they ran the ball, especially at times. Um but like you said, the 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 three fumbles put a real damper on that afternoon. And if you don't have those three fumbles, maybe you're talking about Utah scoring another 14 points, and then the game looks a lot different. And maybe you don't come out with so many questions. But but the three fumbles are critical. And uh, if that's going to be a continuing trend, then Utah's just going to r- really struggle to win football games. What did you think of Rising? Somewhat uneven. I thought he might be better in his first start this year. I think we were all hoping he would be better because um, he he did so well against San Diego State or he provided such a spark against San Diego State. And so, I mean, I think the expectation was probably that he would come in and throw three touchdowns and throw for 250 yards and – you know, 65, 70% completion, all the, all that good stuff, be really secure with the ball. And he looked uneasy. I thought he looked uneasy. Uh, he did some good things. There's certainly stuff to work on. And, I, I, you know, I just don't know what goes, goes into that. If he was uptight about the game um, or, or whatever it was, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't a lack of preparation. So... You know, I'll give him a passing grade on that one. Uh, it seemed like he just did enough. But but for Utah to be, I mean, I think the formula is still the same for Utah. Powerful running game, get the running game going, beat up the defense at the line of scrimmage, high-efficiency passing game. And now I really like that Cam Rising brings the ability to run the ball from the quarterback position. I think that's... I think that puts the defense, you know, makes the defense really uneasy. So if he can clean up the passing a little bit um, and get to that 60, 65% completion, um, use his legs, be secure with the football, I think Utah has a pretty good shot. Um, it's just it's just cleaning that stuff up. And, and then that's the other thing I was saying, like, it still needs to be cleaned up at the offensive line. I'm not sure that Rising has a – you know, 100% comfort level behind his offensive line. I think they've just been they've just been a little soft up front um, to to gain that trust of the quarterback. So we'll see. You know, I mean, obviously they have an off week this week, but we'll see how it goes on the next outing. But that that offensive line still needs a little work. So how do you sort out the running backs after they seem to have run through pretty much all the running backs? <laughs> truth is I would start Pledger I think (laughs) I mean he seemed like and who knows I mean 
could be the time of the game. It could be that Utah just figured something out. I don't know, but he just seemed like the most dynamic in that game. And so I think he's earned himself a spot, and he certainly didn't put the ball on the ground. Uh, I think Mackay Bernard is super steady, and that was kind of an unfortunate, unfortunate deal. I don't know what to think about Tavion Thomas. I mean, it, it seems like every time he touches the ball, it's coming out. And I know that it came out after the play, but it's just like it's become habit. And so he seems like a super talented guy. And maybe you try and find him reps when um, in less critical kind of offensive series to get him some confidence. But uh, at this point, it seems to me that Pledger and Bernard would be my top two guys. And I might even lean toward Pledger because he was so dynamic against Washington State. How do you think that when it's time to play, you've got to play, right? The game is going to be scheduled. It's trivial in the big picture relative to a player dying. But how do these guys shake that off? Because, man, what a tragedy. And I don't know how you do that. No, it is is tragic. And, you know, we've been thinking about it a lot, obviously. and, And all of the circumstances surrounding it. Um, you know, with with the the link to Ty Jordan, and I mean, it's all it's all um, it's just strange and tragic, like you said. So, but I think that that uh, these guys to be in a in a in the middle of a team in in the middle of a, a season, in the middle of a team atmosphere with all of your guys around you, I think that's going to be really helpful all of those guys to work through all of this whatever they're you know whatever they're going through right now and guys will manage it manage it differently but if I had to manage something like this alone versus managing it with you know 85 or 100 other guys that I'm pretty close to I think I would rather have a a group around where we could work through it and so um, as tragic as it is this may be the best case scenario for the team to work through something like this and and try and figure out how to uh, move forward appropriately and and honor um, low and his memory and and figure out a way to manage the rest of the season it's it's just a horrible horrible situation and it just kind of hangs hangs all over you i i was in a situation in high school um when uh, we had, there was a player on an opposing team who had a heart attack in the middle of the game. Uh, or, excuse me, right at the end of the game. They they called the game, and he ended up passing away. And, I mean, that's just something that, that it just hangs on you for the rest of the year. I mean, it's really hard to shake that. But um, But to have a bunch of other people who are going through the same thing around you seemed like it was pretty helpful. Frank Dolce joining us here on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Uh, I want you to address the question of the day. BYU's joining the Big 12. We don't know if they're going to have 8, 9, or 10 conference games. I would guess 9, but there's an argument for 8 and 10. Should they continue to play Utah and or Utah State? What do you think? (laughs) Well... (laughs) I'm I'm always a fan of the in-state rivalry, but 
like I I like to see Utah play BYU, and I like to see Utah play Utah State regularly. I like those games. I think those are fun games to 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 be a part of. So yeah, I'm in favor of it. But I don't. I also don't feel like if one of the teams takes a year off or wants to schedule something else for a year or two years or whatever and take a break, that doesn't bother me at all. Like I have, I'm completely indifferent about that. I don't understand the rivalry craziness that you, you know, you have to play every year. And if you don't play, then you're ducking somebody or whatever the the argument is. I feel like the rivalry games and the in-state games should be regular occurrences and maybe you only take, uh, you know, a, a two year hiatus at the most. But if, there are other circumstances that arise and you have an opportunity to play somewhere else or someone else or something that's meaningful for the program, then by all means, go do that. And, and then we'll re, you know, you, 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 you start up the rivalry game when it's appropriate or the in-state game when it's appropriate. So uh, I like it. I think it should be played regularly. I have no issue when it's not played. Frank, we'll leave it right there. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. Hey, great to talk to you guys. Yep, have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. There's Frank Dolce, our Ute Insider. Hear him on all the shows all week long. We're going to take a break, come back with what is trending, all the headlines next. Stay with us.